0: Welcome back. If you're just joining us because you were late for whatever reason, you have no excuse. You have no good excuse to be late for online church, you know. We have to address that cat real fast. The elephant in the room, the cat's out of the bag. We have to address it. There's no reason to be late for online church. All you have to do is roll over, literally. You don't even have to get dressed or brush your teeth and hit a button in the worst case scenario. So if you're just joining us, I pray next week you're on time. But if not, either way. We're glad you're here. Uh, uh, The title of the sermon is Lonely and Longing. Lonely and Longing. And I hope you will uh, allow. So we are taking a break from Daniel. Normally we preach expositionally, uh, passage by passage, book by book. We'll take a book and run it straight through to the end. Uh, I'm going to take a little two-week hiatus from that. Actually, a six-week hiatus uh, from that for these times and address some things in a a more topical manner. And so this will not be an exposition proper per se in the strictest uh, form of that word of 1 Thessalonians 3, but it will be true to the text, I can assure you that. Um, So I hope you will enjoy our time together the next six weeks. I'll unveil more what the next five will look like next week. This is a very important birthday coming up that we all need to be aware of this week. A very important birthday that impacts really all of us. Uh, this coming Wednesday, April 22nd, 1945, that's approximately or exactly 75 years ago, a group of Christians gathered together in Kahalui, and they formally covenanted together to one another and to the Lord they formally organized themselves as the First Baptist Church of Kahalui. Does that sound familiar? You say, no, it doesn't. I've never heard of the First Baptist Church of Kahalui. That's right, because a few months later, to show that Baptists can change, in June of the same year, they changed the name from the First Baptist Church of Kahalui to Kahalui Baptist Church. And so, KBC Ohana, A very happy birthday to you this week. 75 years of God's faithfulness. Who could have imagined all that that God would have done, all that would have transpired 75 years ago to now. Multiple church plants, I think six. A biblical counseling center. Many, many wondrous people saved. A incredible preschool that has ministered to generations upon generations in Maui. Who could have imagined that? Who could have imagined that we'd be conducting worship services like this 75 years ago? But here we are. And so we have tried to make the most of our time in this to continue to care for all of you in various ways. Um, but one of the things that keeps coming up as we as we think about just what God has done and is doing and is doing now. One of the things that keeps coming up in various conversations for all of us is i constantly hear how different things feel and are how much there's this longing to see one another face to face even when we run into each other in passing we're kind of like this like oh oh just okay shaka far six feet rule right we we feel different it feels strange we long to see one another face-to-face, to, to worship God together. Also attached to that desire to see one another is an undercurrent of loneliness. Many have expressed this. I felt it. Of isolation. We say it in different ways. Maybe we're saying, I'm going stir-crazy or quarantine crazy or the isolation is the stay home order is getting to me i just want i want to get out i want to be able to go i want to be able to see we all have felt this i think and so i want to do this week what i want to do this week is i want to take some time to think about that and look at god's word and and see what it has to say about this concept of loneliness isolation the desire to see one another face to face. And my hope is by the end of today that we are urged to press on in our current circumstance, faithfully, joyfully, until the order is lifted. And by the grace of God, when the order is lifted, we might find our relationship with the Lord stronger, our relationship with one another stronger, and our appreciation for the gathered body just enhanced all around as we magnify God's grace in that. So that's my prayer. Uh, Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, thank you for the beauty around me. The reminders of your grace as I hear the waves crash and think of your power and of your faithfulness as you command them and they stop exactly where you have ordained them. I think of your power. I think of your love to us, how you provide for us Through rain, the sun shines, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. I think of your faithfulness, your love for your creation. But Father, I look through that and I see the gospel through your word and the resurrection of Christ supremely displaying your love for your fallen world, your redemptive stance to call all people to trust in Christ for deliverance of sins from your wrath. And so... Uh, Lord, I just thank you for the gospel and its beauty. I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word now, that though we may feel lonely, we would see that for the believer, we are truly never alone because you are always with us. And so, Father, would you save through the preaching of your word? Would you uh, convict and restore as your word is preached? And, Father, I lift up uh, our partner churches, our sister churches, all the pastors who perhaps right now are even struggling with technology to preach and to to balance their sermon load, their shepherding duties. Lord, would you comfort them? May they be encouraged to press on and would you do a mighty work in spite of the many challenges so that you would get all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I have three points. Three points. Number one, the distress of social distancing. The distress of social distancing distancing let me uh turn my bible to first thessalonians chapter 3 with you and i think what we're going to see is you're going to see this echoing of paul of what i have just mentioned this desire he has to to see the believers in thessalonica face to face this this almost a consuming desire notice verse one check this out he says therefore when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. You see that, that distress he has of this, this distance from the Thessalonians in Thessalonica. He says, we couldn't bear it anymore. I, I couldn't bear it. I was even willing to be left alone so that I could hear about how you were doing. And so he sends Timothy. Know what he says in verse six. Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. And reported that you always remember us kindly. And long to see us as we long to see you. You hear him like, I just, you guys long to see us. And KBC, I've heard that from you. You long to see us. And, and we long to see you, you see. And then he goes on and he actually, this isn't just lip service. Paul is praying, note, in verse, note verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. You see, he, he is praying. He's not just expressing a desire. He is actively pursuing god actively asking god to direct our way to you we long to see you face to face and so i hope you just note as we just walked through those few verses uh his desire to see them in person face to face and and he has this distress over being torn away from them or literally orphaned like a child being torn away from his parents that longing to see them that was the literal word underneath that he was torn away from them now obviously this is due to persecution obviously the circumstances are different but the end result is similar he desired to see them face to face so much that he prayed to god to direct his way back to them now perhaps you see some Uh, some measure of similarity in our circumstances. We long to see one another face-to-face, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, every day. Uh, The the ability to be able to freely gather and and have social interaction with one another to initiate face-to-face conversation. So what is up with this? Where does this desire come? Come from. And if you're wondering what I'm doing right here, I'm actually trying to cover my iPad with my hands in the shadow because the sun is roasting it right now. And it just gave me the temperature alert. So uh, I may go noteless if you see me do that. So uh, that's what I'm doing so that we can prolong this as much as possible. This sermon will be much better, I promise you, if I have my notes. But the Holy Spirit is sufficient. Amen? Amen. So where does this desire come from? come from? Where does it uh, initiate from or flow from in our hearts? For that, we have to go back to the book of Genesis, to the very beginning. And so what I want to do is I'm going to give you a survey, and I want to ask you to stick with me here, and I promise we're going to make it back to our current circumstance, back to 1 Thessalonians 3, but, but bear with me as we survey God's purpose in creation. So in the beginning, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. And and as you march through, uh, you see that God says each day He creates something, it was good. He creates this, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then we get to uh, really the sixth day of creation. And we see for the first time God creating man. And God looks at something in His creation and says that it is not good. So you see, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then He creates man. And something about that creation, God says, is not good. It's the very first not good in all of the Bible. What is that? So for that, we zoom in on the sixth day in chapter 2. So chapter 1 gives us the overview of the days of creation. And then chapter 2 zooms in, kind of like a camera, zooms in on the sixth day. And we see what God says was not good in chapter 2, verse 18. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Did you hear it? God said, It is not good for man to be alone. That was the first not good in creation. Now, most of us, most of us, due to our culture, due to our upbringing, due to our psychologized world, Uh, take a man-centered approach to reading this text and interpreting it. Here's what I mean. You probably read this and thought, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. Adam was there alone in the garden. Adam must have been lonely. And God doesn't want people to be lonely. And therefore, God created a helper suited for Adam. That's the way we tend to read it. But I would suggest to you, the text doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say that Adam was lonely. Or that God's presence was insufficient for Adam. It doesn't say that. That's not what it says. It says there was not a helper suitable for him. Now, what would Adam need help with? Well, obviously, caring for the world, probably. That's one aspect. But it doesn't say Adam was lonely. Now, I just want to note as a side note it is possible to be alone. This is important. It's possible to be alone and not lonely. Think about that. It's possible to be alone and not lonely. And it's also possible to be surrounded by people and to be extremely lonely. What's up with that? Where does that come from? We'll talk about that more in a minute. But the text does not say that Adam was lonely, therefore God created Eve. It says he was alone and that it's not good. Now, why would it say that? if loneliness wasn't the main issue in view. I'd like to propose that this statement has more to do with God's nature and Adam's role as an image bearer than than anything that Adam felt. This isn't so much about Adam's experience as it is about God's nature and his purpose. You say, what do I mean? God created Adam or man and woman in his image, in his likeness to reflect his glory. And so when God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone, what God is doing is he's making a, a statement. He's making a statement over the inability of any single created being to adequately reflect the glory of the triune God. Whew, let me say that again. God is making a statement over the inability of any created being to adequately reflect the glory of the triune god especially his image bearer adam by himself that's what he's saying we could take time to flush out that triune god because i realize a lot of people stumble there but this is not a sermon per se on the trinity but i assure you it will bear up under exposition but that is why it's not good for man to be alone That's why it's not good to be a Lone Ranger Christian where you routinely, where you regularly stay home and worship God from home and you say, Oh, I can worship God and not go to church baloney. It's not what the text says. It's not good for man to be alone. We are to worship him in relationship with other believers in the body of Christ. And so God created Adam and Eve to put them in a garden. And there they are with no other people, nobody else around except each other, the animals and God. And they were completely happy. Think about that for a second. They couldn't socialize with anybody else if they wanted to couldn't go out and about and have uh, other fellowship with other Christians because there were no other Christians yet. That was a plan. Eventually, they would multiply and fill the earth with with image bearers of the glory of God, to the glory of God, but not yet. So here they are. It was just the two of them, naked and alone and happy and happy. Think about it. They had a permanent social distancing, we could say. Interesting, isn't it? And so you can be alone, as they were, and not be lonely. So where does this sense of hardship come from that we are collectively experiencing from being alone and cut off from one another? Where, where does that come from? Well, after Genesis chapter 2, many of you know, Genesis chapter 3 happens. The fall. In short, Adam and Eve both take the temptation of the serpent they eat the forbidden fruit, they disobey God, and it says their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked, and they were ashamed. And in their shame and guilt over their disobedience, over their sin, it drives them to find some semblance of covering, some, some effort to cover what they have done. And so they sew together fig leaves and make loincloths, and then they do something even more foolish, and they hide themselves from the very presence of God in the garden. Do you see what's happening? Sin immediately impacts the created order. And for the first time, for the first time, there is a painful separation because of sin a type of social distancing as a result of sin obviously obviously they were separated from full intimacy and union with God but also they were separated from one another owing to their sin and you know the rest of the story God eventually curses the serpent curses the man curses the woman Curses all of creation because of their sin and their disobedience. Sin brings death and pain and suffering and the experience of loneliness. And the experience of loneliness. This is one of the reasons why death is so painful. Because it is the ultimate, the final, the irreversible separation and distancing measure from God and man. This is part of what makes death so painful. It's the final separation. And now, all of us feel the impact of this in some way, in some capacity. We feel this sense of loneliness or feeling separated in your younger years perhaps, in your singleness. Sometimes people are tempted to think that only single people struggle with being lonely. You you think, oh, well, married people have their spouse and their children and and then it just kind of seems to go away, like maybe that is the answer to my problems with loneliness. And people who are married just kind of chuckle and laugh at that thought because there's no framework in their mind to understand the struggles that lay ahead. Much like one of my children saying, do eggs come from eggplants? We just kind of laugh. You'll learn later. That's a perfectly logical thing to think, but you just don't understand yet. Sometimes in your singles, you can think, if only I had a spouse or somebody to, to be with, then my problem would be solved. You find later in marriage that loneliness can be just as real and very painful. As spouses pass each other like ships in the night, feeling unheard, unimportant, unprioritized, misunderstood, and you have children, and you can feel another layer of loneliness in fatherhood or in motherhood as a parent, as you labor at home. Those who earn income outside the home can feel lonely as the the weight, the burdens of daily providing can rest on your shoulders. The multitude of tasks that you have to balance both at work and at home, and as a parent and as a spouse can easily be daunting and add up, or maybe you stay home and You care for the children at home and you hold down the home front and there you can easily feel lonely, misunderstood as you have no conversations with anybody over the age of six for some time or seven or three months or twelve. You can be misunderstood or, or not cared for in your daily tasks as maybe your other spouse just doesn't seem to get how hard it is to keep everything moving and connected and running smoothly. I can tell you right now, as a husband, you learn very quickly not to ask a stay-at-home mother. So what'd you do all day? <laughs> you learn very quickly not to ask these questions. Uh, whenever I have to stay home with my children and, and be Mr. Mom, uh, I am very quickly overwhelmed and move to tears at the amount of tasks. Children are, we could say, beautiful agents of chaos. Are they not? Or you can feel alone at work, or maybe you're in school still as elementary school or middle school or high school or college or moving on into the new workplace and the workforce. You can feel alone. Have you ever had the feeling of being the new kid? Being the new guy at work? The new kid to class? What is that feeling that we don't like? It's an echo of not belonging, of being separate, of a type of isolation and loneliness. That's exactly what it is. Or maybe you've experienced the pain of gossip, where people are talking about you behind your back, or saying things that are either untrue or negative or half-true, and otherwise just not encouraging Gossip maybe at church. Gossip maybe in your family or extended family or or gossip in the workplace. All of this can come together and part of the pain is it makes you feel isolated, doesn't it? Separate. Left out. If you've ever felt embarrassed, part of that feeling interwoven with it is the feeling of loneliness. And it goes on and on in ways we don't often think about that all of us experience this. Certainly the pain of divorce. Pain of being a, of widowhood, of empty nesters. Those who serve in ministry sense this pain of loneliness. In any leadership capacity of any kind, I can assure you that serving in a leadership capacity is a lonely place to be by definition. Sometimes you feel all alone for doing the right thing. When you obey God, sometimes it can lead to a sense of loneliness, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, or like Jesus in the garden. Or maybe you've ever said something like, uh, or or you've thought, people just don't understand me, or I'm just misunderstood, or they don't get me. All of these frustrations, beloved, if you've ever thought these things, they're linked to this painful sense of being separate or feeling lonely. And all of these experiences that we have are the result of living in a fallen world. Jesus said to his disciples before he died, in John 16, 30, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. He told us that. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have, not maybe, or you might experience a little bit of difficulty here and there. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Beloved, when he says that, that's what he means. If I say I'm going to preach a short sermon, you would expect me to preach a short sermon, and I will preach a short sermon. If I say I'm going to preach normal, you know you're going to be here all day. All day. I'm preaching normal today. And so when Jesus says you will have trouble in the world, beloved, we will have trouble, just like the time we are in. We are not to be surprised when these things happen. So on this side of the fall, we have this pain of separation. We could summarize it for four reasons. Four reasons why we might experience the pain of separation that we all feel in some degree. Number one, because of disobedience, just like Adam and Eve. Because of our disobedience, our sin against God or others, whatever it is, can make us feel separate. We long for intimacy, but sin separates it, shatters it. It's the first one, because of disobedience or sin. Second reason, because others sin against us. So other people will sin against us and we can feel isolated or separated. Number three, because we live in a fallen world. This world is cursed. Things like sickness and disease and plague. If you think of the Old Testament, there were laws uh, for Israel concerning uncleanness. And a lot of these laws of uncleanness were to protect them from pestilence and sickness. And so God would command them if they were found unclean or if their house was unclean to have some sort of contagious disease, they were commanded to go outside the camp. To be by themselves for a season. You see that separates. Just being in a fallen world, a sin-cursed world. That's the third reason. The fourth reason is because of our obedience. You heard that right, because of our obedience. See, in a world full of darkness, when we follow God, it can feel very much like you're alone. In a world that is hostile to God, as Romans says, when we do the right thing and follow God, we can feel very much alone like Daniel in the lion's den, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the flames, or like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane before his death. He was truly the only righteous man to ever lived, and his disciples in that moment failed to pray for him and eventually abandoned him. And this happened in part because, think about it, because Jesus was obedient to the Father, he experienced loneliness. To a depth none of us could ever imagine. Thankfully, none of us ever have to imagine if we trust in him. And so I want you to think about those four things our disobedience or sin, others' sin, our fallen world, and our obedience. Think about those four reasons or a combination of them. Think about what that means for a minute. Think about it. That means on this side of eternity, in the here and now, there is not a single circumstance, a single season of life where you are out of reach of pain or loneliness. Think about that. There is not a single circumstance or season of life where you are out of reach of the pain of loneliness. Now, I took time to flesh all that out because if we don't understand the spiritual dynamic at play in our loneliness, if we don't understand what happened in Genesis, we will misunderstand the problem and seek the wrong solutions. What do I mean by that? See, we tend to think if I feel alone or if somebody says they're lonely and either in this social distancing or, or at church or for whatever reason, we think the solution, therefore, is me to be around people. Oh, they're lonely? They need to be around people. I'm lonely with this social interacting or I don't like it or so, sorry, social distancing and I, and I don't like it. I, I want to be with people. So we think the solution is when we get to be with people, they just need to be around people. They just need a, a better small group. I just need a better small group, or maybe I need a more missional church, or a more diligent church, or a church that is better with relationships, or, or maybe we need a support group in our church for people who have the same life experience so that they can have more camaraderie around that thing that they went through. Or we think things will be better when, if it's me, maybe things will be better when people are around. Or when my marriage is better this pain will go away, or if my work situation changed, or if my grandchildren called me more. And on and on we can go. I'm not saying there's not a place or role for any of these things. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's not value to any of these things. What I'm saying is those approaches alone will always leave us looking for the greener grass. They will always leave us longing for something more, and the root spiritual problem will remain unaddressed. Because the reality is, you could have all those things. You could have a great church, wonderful small group, excellent family life, loving family, and still be dissatisfied and isolated. And what happens when we don't recognize this spiritual dynamic from Genesis chapter three in our own hearts, we unintentionally or unknowingly identify other people or lack of programs or lack of leadership as the problem and solution to my loneliness. You see, if I don't don't wrestle with this spiritual dynamic in my heart, I will unintentionally or unknowingly misidentify the problem and the solution. So if I feel lonely, it's other people. If I feel not cared for, ultimately it's other people. Or I need this program or this leader. Beloved, we don't ultimately need better programs. We don't need people to learn our love language. We don't need to get rid of toxic people in our lives. We don't need these things. Ultimately, ultimately, we need to see our hearts will only be satisfied, will only find their satisfaction in God Himself. And this pain that we feel, this distress of feeling distant, is meant to remind us that this world is not our home. This world is not our final destination. Our eternal hope is to be with God in His very presence forever and ever. Let me wrap it back to our current situation and the hope we have for the gospel today. See, social distancing has been hard for many of us, myself included, in part because it is a faint echo of the enemy, that final enemy, death and sin. It's a faint echo of these things that are yet to be put away forever. And what's happening is these... Current circumstances are are casting a light on an issue that's been present for us all along, but now we're seeing it in a new way. For example, when the sun rises over Maui, you're seeing the same Maui, but as it rises, it casts shadows and you see angles and ridges and, and nooks and crannies and mountains with different light on them, and you see things you didn't see before. And so it is with our current circumstance and social distancing we see things now with these new circumstances in a new light and in this new light we see that we have to wrestle with these things in a new way and i think we will find as we do so the surpassing and sufficient grace of god to comfort us in the midst this leads us to our second point the gospel and the gathering of god's people the gospel and the gathering of god's people you say, it's been almost 30 minutes. He's only on a second point. We have three points. These will go faster. See, God wouldn't, in his kindness, he would not leave his creation cursed and cut off. No Way back in Genesis chapter 3, 15, we have the promised redeemer. The seed of the woman, he says, would come and crush the head of the serpent. And so in the here and now, we will wrestle with separation. But he promised way in the beginning his present grace. And that one day somebody would come who would undo all of this pain, undo all of the separation. And he would lead an absolutely righteous life. He would be rejected by his people. He would be misogynied. Understood by his followers, failed by his friends, and ultimately forsaken by his father as he hung on a cross, Jesus Christ the righteous, and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, beloved, was cut off that we might be lifted up. He was cast out that we might be brought in. He bore our shame that we might live blameless and holy before Him. He died, separated, under God's wrath that we might live forevermore in Him. Now, now, those who place their faith in Him, all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, all of them are placed in a new family, in a new community, And what the Bible calls a new humanity. And those people gather in a place. They gather regularly, often, consistently, like a family. The household of God, the body of of Christ, the bride of Christ, the flock of God, the temple of God, the people of the redeemed, the church. This is a community community. A beautiful community, Uh, an otherworldly community where, yes, the pain of sin and separation still exists. This isn't heaven yet a community where the pain of sin and separation still exists, but this community is different because it is empowered, it is born by, it is energized by the Holy Spirit of God, influencing and overflowing with the love of Christ and the free mercy of God to sinners. And it is a community that is being increasingly transformed into the likeness of Christ together. And it is this community, this dynamic that Paul references in 1 Thessalonians 3. I told you we'd come back. And that we long for here and now to see one another face to face. And it is this community that will inherit a new heavens and a new earth where we will together live unhindered by sin, unencumbered by the weakness of the flesh. This body is going to get upgraded. Amen? 2.0 is coming, and we will forever be with God in the presence of the Lamb and one another and worship Him for ages and ages and ages. And when those ages are done, it'll be more ages and ages and ages to come as we worship God with that, uh, that beautiful vision where we see Him face to face. But not yet. But not yet. Which leads us to our third point. The promise of His abiding presence. The promise of His abiding presence. Not yet. Right now, we live in the here and the now. There's still brokenness in this world. Christ is ruling and reigning and He will rule until all things are brought under his feet. And we are waiting our final redemption. But he has not left us alone, has he? Even when we are alone, when we are alone, we have the promise of his presence and that changes everything and it always has. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you know it, the great commission, he says at the very end, you know what it says, and behold, I am with you even unto the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always even into the end of the age i love that he is with us always you know what that means christian beloved it means you may feel lonely because we live in a fallen world but take heart for the follower of jesus though you feel lonely you are never truly alone it is never a reality for you and it never will be so let me close with some application you ready Here it is, don't miss the opportunity to draw near to God in these current circumstances. He has a purpose in this. As we saw with Christ, Christ obeyed him, and God foreordained everything that would happen to Christ to the very end, which means he foreordained the experience of loneliness that we share in. that Paul references in Philippians when he references the fellowship of his suffering. See, we love the fellowship of joy and the fellowship of life and the fellowship of peace that we get with Christ. However, there's also this element of the fellowship of suffering. See, one of the things that happens to those who go off to war or in combat or in the military or in the police or fire or medics who, who go into really tense, dangerous situations together is there's a camaraderie that's formed. We could call that camaraderie the fellowship of suffering. There's something that happens and as you almost die or Go into something where you almost get really injured with somebody else and you just have an experience and a bond where you grow in love and trust of one another and knowledge and vulnerability. There's a fellowship of suffering there that's hard to describe or replicate. But that's what we go through, beloved, in this. There is a fellowship of suffering being forged together with one another that one day we will see. So I urge you, don't, don't miss the opportunities to draw near to God in this time do you feel lonely isolated separate because you are i do too let me ask you have you considered this spiritual dynamic in this time those four reasons that spiritual spiritual root maybe you feel it because of sin in your life that you need to repent of turn from and flee she need to seek God's forgiveness for and repent. I Maybe mean, it's because of sin. Maybe you feel it because others are sinning against you. That's hap- that's possible. Just as Christ had others sin against him, his his last few hours in prayer, he asked his disciples, Will you will you pray with me a while? And you remember they fall asleep. Not one, not two, three times. They fall asleep on him. Ultimately they would abandon him. Jesus felt this pain of loneliness acutely. Maybe it's because others are sinning against you. Maybe you feel it because we're just in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Your body is breaking down. Your ability to travel perhaps is hindered more than it was before. Any number of reasons. Or maybe you feel it because you're doing the right thing. Maybe you're in a hard situation at home or at work where you're obeying God and you're trying to seek Him and and there's attacks happening and you feel very alone. Or if we're honest, it's probably a hybrid of all of these things, isn't it? It's probably not any one thing in different circumstances and different times. It's probably a hybrid of all of them. Beloved, I pray, whatever it is, that we all consider the spiritual reality of our loneliness, that this is part of life, in a fallen world, but so is the active and abiding presence of Christ with His people until He comes. So I want to close with this reading. I want to read the rest of our passage in 1 Thessalonians 3 as my closing. I'm going to start in verse 9 to 13. Here's what it says, and I I just totally feel like this about you, KBC. I just, I really do. He says, For what thanksgiving, Can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, here's my prayer and I pray this is your prayer. Pray it with me. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you Increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, before our God and Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And I love this phrase, at the coming of the Lord Jesus, what's the next word? ESV? With with all His saints. See that corporate nature. He's coming with all of us. That's my hope. That's my prayer. That our hearts would be directed, that you would increase and bound in love for one another until we see you face to face. Let's pray. Father, as we all experience this pain of loneliness and separation because of life in a fallen world, I pray that we would be spurred to see and reflect on the spiritual root of this, but that we would also see the spiritual solution that you have provided your presence, the comfort of the divine presence of God, mediated by your spirit, by faith in your son with us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Father, I pray that we would take these promises, that we would cling to them in this time, that we would remain faithful until we see each other face to face and ultimately to see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.